Blog Talk Radio. Turnbuckle Turmoil fans, welcome to the show here on another Sunday afternoon, first one of August. We are kicking off Photography Month. We'll be talking to some of the great photographers of wrestling in the next month. Our guest, not quite on with us, but we will be joined shortly, I believe, by Mouse. But while we wait for him, I want to thank everyone for coming out last night to the first ever Glamour Championship Tournament, first event ever for Glamour, and then that was immediately followed by Northwest Pro. We had a huge crowd at the Civic Center, great, great reception for both Glamour and Northwest Pro, so thank you to everyone coming out last night to support. Hopefully all of the other shows in the Pacific Northwest went really well last night. Great time to be a fan of independent wrestling in Washington as there were a lot of events going on. QT didn't make it there, but you missed a whole lot of action. Whole lot of action. I don't know if you could have handled that much action. There was a lot. I'm pretty much known for handling action, much like my hot sauce on my uh, chips. Hot sauce. I can handle that. Now, have you ever gone to a hot sauce store and bought some of the specialty hot sauces? Yes, there's one that's called Hot Habanero Peach Mango. Oh, okay. Now, where do you stand on Dave's Total Insanity Sauce? Oh, boy. Just like a drop in my chili, a quarter chili to one drop. I got you. That's all you need. But it looks like our guest has joined us, so I want to bring him on right away. He is someone I am very, very pleased to have on here. Been an admirer of his work for a long time. Mouse, thank you so much for being with us today on Turnbuckle Turmoil. How's it going, Kyle? How are you? Doing very well. Well, Mouse, since it is your first time with us, I'm going to start you out with our traditional first-timer question. How did you get into this crazy business of professional wrestling? Well, as far as a camera guy, I just happened to purchase a camera and start taking pictures from the crowd and built from there. Now, when you first we're taking pictures from the crowd. Did you have in the back of your mind that you wanted to do that as sort of a living, or was it something that took time to evolve into that idea? Well, it's really something of a living. It's just something that I do for fun, and now it's just uh, a way to occupy my time at shows and to help my kid network and help uh, the friends that we make on the way network. So. It's still pretty much at the hobby-ish stage because it definitely isn't making enough money to have me quit a real job. 
totally understand, but you're very, very good, so it wouldn't shock me if at some point you're doing that full time. <laughs> one of the things that uh, one of our fans wanted to know, and I want to know this as well, do you have any plans at any point in time to eventually start compiling some of your photos into books and selling books kind of like what a George Napolitano or a Bill After has done in the past? Uh, the only time I ever really thought about making a book was um, I have all the pictures from uh, my stepdaughter's uh, Mania Week, and I've been thinking about uh, – putting together a book of her week of matches and things like that. But beyond that, that's about the only thing I've thought about. Um, I spoke with a fellow photographer, Michael Watson, about it, and he said he would help me uh, organize and put it together in order to make something presentable. But outside of that, I've never thought about anything with any other photos I've ever taken. Well, if you ever do, I'm going to be in line to get one of those. I think that would be phenomenal. Now, like you said, you, of course, are a stepfather to a very, very promising young professional wrestler, and she has traveled quite a bit in her short time in the wrestling business. She's wrestled in several different states. What's it like going all over the eastern half of the country and taking her to all these big shows uh, state after state? Uh, it's it's fun. It's definitely one of those things where as she progresses and you look back, you can see all the things that were put in place in order for her to do that. Um, it starts with uh, me coming into her and her brother's life with, with me dating her mom and, you know, introducing them to wrestling and then watching her look at these wrestlers and start asking them the proper questions to figure out how to do it. Um me and her mom were both there the first day of her training. So just to watch her go from there to people actually recognizing her, it's it's surreal, it's weird, but it's fun. Now, several months ago, uh, she was in a match, and she did what some people in that area would call the sign guy bump, where she uh, got caught up on a dive and went to the floor. It terrified me just since I had done something similar, so I kind of knew it hurts. Watching from the crowd, especially being the stepfather, uh, when you see her do something and it looks like that might have hurt or led to even a small injury, what's going through your mind? Not only is the guy taking the pictures at the ring, but also as a stepfather that just saw his uh, stepchild possibly get injured? Well, i take that situation, for example. Um, that happened to be a show that I chose not to shoot, so I was watching from the far side of the ring, and as I seen her take off of the dive, I could tell she was behind uh, Slade, where he was in the ring and she wasn't going to make it, so I had actually started walking around the ring to get over to her. Um, so when I reached her, me and her mom were both right there. She started talking to me. I'm the one uh, that actually touched her head and noticed that she was bleeding. 
She looked at us and was explaining that she was fine. Um, an EMT actually came around and spoke to her and then spoke to us and said, meet me in the back. So she continued to finish the match until then, and when she went and talked to EMT, then afterwards they went to the ER. Um, just one of those things where you never want to see your kid get hurt. Um, it was the second time that she got Hurt in the middle of a match. Uh, her very first match, she sprained her ankle jumping off the second rope and was able to finish the match. So it's, it's with like any sport. If you watch your kid get hurt playing football, baseball, or anything like that, you're not going to want your kid either potentially to continue or you're not going to want to see your kid get hurt anymore, but you're definitely going to make your way down to your kid to check on them and see if they're capable of continuing. Um, I Watched my mom do that for me and my brothers when we played sports. She, something happens to us, she would check on us. If we talk to her and talk to the people that are in charge of us and we're good, then we will continue. And that's why we allowed her to continue in that particular match. Um, she definitely learned a lesson on that. And it's one of those things where I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize on that particular dive, she was smart enough to know to tuck and kind of roll. So the way she went through the rope, she actually spun her body and slid more across her back than she did, you know, crashing potentially head first into the pavement. Yep. Definitely glad she was all right. It was definitely scary at the time, but I'm very glad she was all right and was able to continue. Not necessarily... Uh, your own stepdaughter, but just in general, traditionally in the wrestling business, photographers would make a lot more money when they would sell pictures of matches that had blood in it just because it was more eye-catching if they were in the magazines and the books and so forth. It's a little bit of a different era and a little bit different situation, but do you personally like doing photography in matches where there is blood involved, or does it not make a difference to you either way? That make much of a difference. I do find blood to look cooler in pictures and whatnot. Um, like, I'm not a super gas match fan or anything like that, but I got buddies that do it. I honestly rather shoot a regular match, but... Sometimes just capturing a moment where somebody's bloody comes off a little bit cooler than most things. Um, usually, like, whenever some people, when I first started shooting, would notice stuff, it would usually be the, the really bloody stuff because I started shooting at IWA whenever I first learned how to use my camera, and they were bleeding on a weekly basis. So, you know, you would catch a bloody man's Warner or a bloody Holt Radrick or something like that, and you post that and people would notice. Now, speaking of the photos that uh, magazines would buy, I, I know that you do have photos that get into the magazines. There's not as many magazines on the market today as there were 20, 25 years ago, but they're still out there, and they still need photos to put in the magazines. How fun is it for you knowing that when you're shooting – a show that some of these pictures might end up in the 
magazines that people all over the country are going to purchase? It's something I still find weird, like because I honestly don't think I'm any good. Um, I think I still have a long way to go, and I think I'm still figuring out how a camera works and still, you know, working on getting better equipment. So anytime that somebody wants to purchase a photo to put it in a magazine, it it's kind of just a neat experience because it's something that I honestly never thought would happen. Like I, my entire goal or idea of what I probably was going to do was literally going to be shooting from the crowd. So everything that I've done since has been more than I expected. Personally, I think you're very, very good. So at least there's that. And I definitely have seen your work in the magazines, and I think it's a phenomenal thing that they put it in there for sure. Thank you. We had another fan of the show asking me to ask you if you would have any plans or any desires to come out to our neck of the woods here in the Pacific Northwest and do photography if the opportunity presented itself. Oh, I would love to come out there. Like I, I love like uh, the look of Defy. Um, I've been following some of the photographers out there. I believe there's a guy named uh, Vips and a guy named uh, Wes Smith that do phenomenal work um, in those venues. Um, plus, of course, you have some of the younger talent that have been coming to the Midwest recently and working shows that my kid has been on, so it's been cool meeting a lot of those kids. And uh, We have had conversations about her going out there to wrestle, which, of course, means that I would most likely tag along. So it's just a matter of time of making something line up and work. It would be great to have you out here. And I know the kids that have been going out to the Midwest, and they all really enjoy working with your stepdaughter, so hopefully that will all work out. Yeah, it definitely will. It's just, like I said, a matter of time. It's just lining dates up. She tends to get real busy sometimes. Understandable, for sure. In addition to driving your stepdaughter, it's well known that you also drive carloads of other wrestlers. Sometimes you'll have three or four wrestlers in your car, and you're taking them to various shows. At this point in time, what would you say has been the longest drive that you had to make to get to a show and back? Oh, definitely the longest drive we had. We did a loop in uh, Texas um, in June. It was me, the kid, uh, Cole Radrick, and Brayden Lee. Uh, We had our first show on a Saturday evening in uh, Houston. We left Friday night. We got to Houston, like, uh, early afternoon. Um, That was about 14 hours to get from Louisville, Kentucky to uh, Houston. Uh, Mind you, Cole and Braden both live about two to three hours uh, north of Louisville, so they had to drive that to get to us for us to take off. 
been the day after the Houston show. Uh, well, the Houston show was New Texas. The day after that was a show called Lucha Maniacs in uh, Laredo, which was six hours south of Houston, literally on the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, we did that show that Sunday night, and then we turned around and had to make the trek home. Um, that drive from Laredo back to Louisville was about 19 hours. It took roughly about 9 to 10 hours to even get out of Texas. That does sound very, very long, but <laughs> I'm sure Cole and Braden both were glad you were manning the wheel on that. Well, Braden, did, uh, Braden, Cole, uh, on the way down, Cole shared a lot of driving with me. And then um, on the way back, Braden did a lot of the driving, actually getting out of uh, Texas. He got us from Laredo to Dallas and then from Dallas to about Nashville or so. Uh, Cole did the driving, and then I actually let the kid drive from Nashville home. Oh, nice. Always glad when people share the driving duties. Is that, especially on a long drive, it can definitely wear on you. Oh, absolutely. Now, you're kind of in a unique situation in that not only are you doing photography and you're driving a lot of these. Uh, talents to different shows and so forth and so on, but you're in a unique perspective watching a lot of these younger wrestlers that are still in the formative years that are eventually going to be the people that are on the national stage wrestling on TV every week. When you're looking around at some of these young talents, does it ever strike you that, hey, in a few years, they're actually going to be major stars that everyone in the country knows and wants to pay to see? Oh, it's very weird. Um, it's one of those things that's neat to watch uh, some of these kids' journeys. Um, like, I remember the first time uh, Zachary Wentz and, like, Desmond Xavier and Trey Miguel were coming to, like, IWA, uh, same way with, like, uh, Myron Reed. Um, you're looking at these kids and you know they're ultra talented and you don't realize like how close they are to reaching that next level until it happens. And then you start realizing that these TV companies are paying more attention to what's happening on the indie scene than you know. Like we definitely learned that in a big way after the kids' uh, October uh, collective stuff and then definitely after Tampa we start you just start hearing things and then you start seeing things and it's just really neat to watch you know people that you've driven with or just been around with and watch them sign contracts and debut on TV and stuff like that like uh, one was like cool watching Marco's ascent um, he literally from one show became a overnight sensation and like just to have him like talk about how he you know got a text from Cody to be on All In and stuff like that, and just to go from there to he's you know on TV 
you know, sometimes every Wednesday, things like that. So just to watch any of these kids expand and grow from working small shows to literally wrestling on USA or TNT or something like that is just special to watch, especially when you personally know. One of the things that's even more unique for you is you have all these photos and you have sort of a record visually of going from breaking into the business to getting to that national stage. When you're taking pictures like that, do you ever keep that aspect of it in mind that you're kind of chronicling someone that in five to ten years will be a major star and you've got photo evidence of the progression of such? It, in some cases, hasn't really hit me. Like, uh, one of the things that shocked me was, like, uh, when Marco was announced for um, All In, uh, the promo photo that they used was a photo that I took of him. Um, I can't remember if it was either at the arena that my kid trains in in Jeffersonville, Indiana, or if it was at uh, a flea market that IWA used to run. But it was one of those things where just this random photo on a random Friday night or whatever that we took is the photo that they used to advertise him in technically what you can kind of probably say was going to be his first AEW kind of uh, deal before, you know, they got a hold of it and started doing their own in-house stuff. So once, I guess, some of these kids really do some major, major things, I guess it's going to be one of those things where I'm like, I was part of that in some way with some random photo and some random place that I took of them. It'll definitely be fun in a few years to look back and see some of the photos of these kids that are now on national TV for sure. Always fun to look back and see the progression of them. One of the things that has become more prominent in the last few years and especially the last year and a half, I would say, is live streaming at the independent level. And it has been a way to keep the promotion alive in a lot of cases the last year and a half when the crowds were limited and so forth. They were able to live stream so they could reach a bigger fan base and keep their name out there. But a lot of people make the point that sometimes live streams will end up hurting the live attendance because people will choose to stay home and watch a live stream rather than go pay for a ticket to see pro wrestling. From your vantage point, do you see any evidence that live streaming affects the in-house crowd, or do you think that it's something that doesn't really make that much of a difference right now? I think when it comes to experiencing a wrestling show, I don't think it makes big of a difference. I think if your area wants wrestling bad enough and the product that you have is delivering, whether you're live streaming or not, your fan base will show up. Um, Evidence of that was this past weekend at GCW. Um, On Saturday, they crammed about 1,200, I think, sold 
not counting people who probably snuck in, and as well as additional people that came to watch the show and kind of help out. So there was probably every bit of 1,300 to 1,500 people in that one space. So you can't say that a live stream at home hurt their draw. That was a very large crowd. Um, The one thing that I would say being recorded and live and all these things so much, um, during Mania, a wrestler was talking to uh, Cole and giving him advice and breaking things down, and one thing he did say that caught my attention was going live and recording everything and all these things that are happening nowadays may be kind of uh, hampering the development of a lot of these wrestlers because they are being seen by a larger audience at a very quick pace. So any mistakes that they make is going to be on somebody's streaming platform within days or even at that moment. Um, Example being like we talked about earlier, my kid crashing and burning on a dive, the entire world seen it and the entire world had an opinion on it and what they thought should have happened or how it should have taken place. You know, 15 years ago, that wouldn't be the case. It would take months before somebody even seen somebody make a mistake like that. Now you're getting that information or that video or whatever out within seconds. So within seconds, everybody's got an opinion of it. So I think that's hurting kids from being able to have mistakes, bounce back from them, learn from them, get better um, because they have to do it all in front of a bigger audience. I agree with you 100% on that. Since a lot of shows that you take part in are live streamed and you're getting photos out there of a lot of people that have a lot of buzz right now, when you go to different towns that are out of your home base, do you have a lot of people that actually recognize who you are when you go to a new town? Surprisingly, yes, but I think most of it is because I scream and yell at clouds on the Internet, uh, probably more than uh, my photos. And then, of course, the birth of uh, BSB kind of uh, has helped. Um, because it's literally like almost every show I go to, there's one or like two people in the crowd that will have one of our shirts on. So that's been surreal to see. It's It's been different. Wouldn't surprise me a bit if in the not-too-distant future people just automatically know who you are when you walk into the building just from seeing you around ringside and seeing photos that pop up on the social media. I know it's kind of a interesting thing when you start getting noticed in places that you've never been to before. Now, as a photographer, uh, you were talking about earlier that uh, you were wanting to upgrade equipment and so forth and things of that nature. If you were to talk to someone that was thinking of getting into wrestling photography as either a hobby or even as sort of a part-time job, 
What would you most recommend as far as equipment needed to get started and have the most chance of success with it? Well, it depends on what level they're trying to jump in and what level of knowledge of a camera they have. Um, example for me, I didn't know how much I would be into this. So I tried to be as cheap as I could, and I purchased uh, entry-level digital uh, camera off of uh, QVC because I didn't want to make a gigantic purchase and, you know, let it sit around the house and not be used. So I bought a Canon T5 uh, Rebel camera, used the kit lens until I purchased uh, another lens, which I even went cheap on the first lens I purchased. And I kind of toyed around with that. And then as I started realizing I was having fun, I started purchasing more equipment for that. And then once I really thought that I was enjoying this and that I wanted to move from the other side of the barricade to shooting ringside, I took some money and purchased uh, a Canon D uh, or Canon uh, D6. Or 60. I bought that, and from that I bought more lenses and things like that because as I took steps to go to the next phase of what I was doing, I knew my equipment had to keep up. So it's just they got to understand that they got to start somewhere and that once you start moving up into these cameras, the equipment starts getting only more expensive um, because the leap from an entry-level camera to um, – a full-frame camera or a more professional camera, you're jumping into the thousands of dollars. Um, like just the cameras that I have, uh, they were about $1,300 each uh, for the current ones I have. And to go from what I have now to the next one would be like $2,500. So this stuff just gets more expensive and more expensive, and then the lenses get just as expensive. You're looking thousands of dollars just for – one lens. So by the time somebody's said and done, they could have ten grand or more in equipment that they are trusting themselves with to be around people flying at them, to be around light tube dust and weaponry flying at them. Um, like one of my cameras has got cracks on the glass and things like that from uh, TOS weekend because a light tube came flying at me and I shielded uh, some fans from getting hit, so I took the brunt of it, and it cracked like a top part of my camera and chipped some pieces off my camera. But luckily, it was the the oldest camera I have, so I wasn't too upset about it. Glad it was an older camera, and not one of the higher end, newer ones. Now, I have noticed in my own career. A lot of times the photographers don't always know how to work with the people in the ring. Uh, sometimes, especially if they're just starting out, the photographers will be in the way of the fans being able to see, or sometimes they kind of crowd the ring a little bit too much and they're where they shouldn't be for the match to happen, things of that nature. If People know what they're doing. Usually it's a pretty seamless thing, and you can work easily with each other. 
what was the learning curve like for you to be able to know where and when to be? Uh, when I first started shooting, um, I was shooting IWA, so there's always something crazy going on. Uh, the best advice I was given from uh, the guy that allowed me in, which was Nick Manawa, he said, don't get hit, stay out of the way of the roam cam, and stay out of the way of the wrestlers. So that's always been my thing I would try to do. And also, uh, the more and more you start getting on the other side of wrestling, when you watch wrestling, you tend to watch it a little bit differently. So you start watching how different people move. So when we would go to like live WWE shows and things like that, as much as I'm watching the in-ring stuff, I'm watching what are the production people doing? Like how are the camera guys moving? How are they positioning themselves? Things like that. That way, as I start shooting more high-profile places, I know where and when I kind of need to be. Um, one of the biggest issues on the indies is with the influx of people, I guess, being able to get cameras and access to cameras, and especially with indies not having any uh, rules beyond bringing a camera, there tends to be a lot more people around with cameras. So a lot of indie shows you see a whole bunch of people ringside shooting and things like that. So you usually just try to maneuver and stay low and try to stay out of the way as much as possible um, because I understand that it's very annoying to people in the front row when there's five or six people in one spot trying to record something. That is very, very true. Um, for you personally, when you go to photograph a show, does either the promoter or any of the wrestlers come to you and give you a heads up on things that might be important parts of the show that you should concentrate on to make sure you have a good shot of it? Or is it all up to you to kind of guess what's going to be happening and be in the right place at the right time on your own? If they really want to get a good shot of it, then they'll let us know. Um, if they're not thinking about it, then they're leaving us up to figure it out. Um, I think a lot of it comes with uh, people and how long they've been doing this. Um, a lot of people who have been doing uh, wrestling for some time, they will definitely come out to people in the production side of things and say, hey, we're going to do this. Make sure you get it. Um, newer kids. They're not thinking of anything beyond what they're doing and what they're doing next or, you know, not screwing up. So the last thing they're thinking about is, should I let somebody holding a camera know what I'm doing? So we rarely get contacted or told anything by these uh, younger talent that are only a few months or a few years in. Oh, yeah, if they're a few months in, then... They're just trying to remember what they were going to do, and that's the extent of it for sure. Oh, I know a lot of photographers here in our area, they get asked to do uh, promo pictures so the wrestlers have pictures that they can give to promoters to put on the flyers. Uh, they can print out. 8x10s to sign and sell at the shows, so forth and so on. I know a lot of them spend an incredible amount of time 
editing promo pictures and tweaking them and making sure that they are high quality since a lot of times it's going to be a tool for the wrestler to make money. I know you also do promo shoots for some of these wrestlers. How much editing and post-production work do you have to do in order to get someone's promo pictures how they want it on an average basis? Uh, I hate editing. It's the thing I'm the worst at, um, but it's usually a lot of work. Um, That's why I try to shortcut it as much as I can. So usually if I'm doing something, I will create a preset and work around that for what I'm trying to get or the look I'm trying to get. So I'm probably about the, the laziest when it comes to that stuff. I'm not going in as much detail as I've seen some people. Like there's um, a young lady named Jess out of uh, L.A. She posted like some stuff on um, her Instagram at OMG Jess, and she's shown like her editing stuff, and I'm watching her remove things and stretch things, and I'm like, yeah, I don't have that type of time. Like I tell her all the time whenever I see her, she's a magician because I know I wouldn't be doing any of that. Well, at this point in time, my co-host QT is standing by, and I believe QT has some questions as well, so I'm going to pass things over to him for a bit. Okay. Well, thank you, Sign Guy. Hello, Mr. Mouse. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Mr. Mouse, I looked up, uh, I did a YouTube search of the most famous movies about the subject of photography. And I hear right now in front of me, have a list and a description, according to this site, of the 55 most famous uh, photography movies that deal with photography. And I'd like to go over three movies that caught my eye, and they also give you a um, kind of a, um, a poster of what the movie was, uh, a poster. And they give you a, a description of what the movie is and who was in it. And uh, three of movies caught my eye. Can I go over the rankings of these, mo- of these movies and the descriptions with you now? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. At number 25, I have uh, a movie called The Public Eye, and it is 99 minutes long, and it's, it, the description is, in the early 1940s, an infamous New York paparazzo gets an assignment from a club owner to do a background search on a mysterious gangster, which leads him down a very dangerous path. Now, the uh, stars in this movie were, were Joe Pesci, Barbara Hershey, and Richard Ryle. And uh, the gross of this movie was $3.07 million, And that was made in 1992, The Public Eye. That was ranked number 25. Okay. And at number 26 was a movie called Flags of Our Father. And this was made in 2006. Some of the stars include Ryan Felipe, Barry Pepper, and Joseph Cross, and Jesse uh, Bradford. The description, the life stories of the six men who raised the flag at the Battle of Iwo Jima 
a turning point in World War II, Flags of Our Fathers. Okay. And that grossed, let me see, that grossed uh, $33.6 million as compared to the public eye, uh, which grossed $3 million. Okay, that's 26. And my final one ranked at number 33, let me see, i got to scroll down here, 33, is a movie called Finding Vivian Mayer. And this was uh, made in 2013. And the stars themselves are Vivian Mayer, John Maloof, and Daniel Arnold. And it, the description of this movie is a documentary of the late Vivian Mayer, a nanny whose previously unknown cachet of 100,000 photographs earned her a po- posthumous reputation as one of the most accomplished street photographers. Apparently, she had a cache of all these photographs, and uh, she didn't share them with anyone, but they were discovered. And this was made in 2013. My question is, given these three movies, Finding Vivian Mayer, uh, Flags of Our Fathers, the Iwo Jima movie, and The Public Eye, a movie with Steve Buscemi, which one would you most rather watch? Uh, most likely, it would probably be the the war movie. That would probably be more up my alley. So, Flags of Our Fathers. Okay, Flags of Our Fathers. Okay. My, uh, did you yourself ever serve in the armed services? Uh, no, sir. But um, Billy's mom and my girlfriend did. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, between the public eye and finding Vivian Mayer, which is your number two choice? Most likely probably the the public eye, uh, because from what I looked up whenever I just Google searched them, it seems like uh, the Vivian Mayer movie is more of a documentary versus a actual oh, okay. movie movie. Okay, I'm gonna I'm writing this down. Finding Vivian there as your third choice. Okay, very good. Now, uh, Mr. Mouse, could you pick out two numbers just randomly, and I will scroll down to that movie and see which ones you picked. This has never been done on the Turnbuckle Turmoil Show. This is kind of history making. Will you pick your two numbers now? Okay, um, eleven. And uh, 19. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Let me see now. 11. Uh, okay. This is a movie called Shudder, and it was made in 2004, and it's titled Horror Mystery Thriller. A young photographer and his girlfriend discover mysterious shadows in their photographs after a tragic accident. They soon learn that you cannot escape your past. And uh, let me see. Oh boy, the the I can't I can't even pronounce some of these stars. Um, let me see what the gross was. The uh, it doesn't have the gross, but that that was oh that was Shutter Two, Shutter Two. So apparently there was a Shutter One. Okay, so photography and capturing uh, ghostly figures. That was number eleven. Number nineteen was your second choice. Okay, here we go. The Salt of the Earth. 
This was made in 2014. The description. The life and work of photographer Sabatio Salgado, who has spent 40 years documenting societies in hidden corners of the world. Oh, okay. And that gross was $1.34 million. So apparently this is a documentary of bi- uh, biography and history. He goes to uh, far-flung places in the world and photographs, probably uh, Iceland or something like that. Okay. Now, out of these two movies, which one would be your first choice? I would probably most likely watch Shutter. Uh, watch what, 11? Yeah, number 11, Shutter. Oh, okay. Uh, Shutter, okay. Very good. All right. This is going to be documented, and for our photography month that we uh, are interviewing photographers, I might play this game again and compare your results with others. That'll be very good. And I might uh, 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 write down the results and send them to you. Okay, very good. Okay. Right. Well, Mouse, there, well, first of all, thank you for playing the game the first time ever on Turnbuckle Turmoil. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, Mouse, there have been many famous photos in the history of mankind. Several that come to mind are that of Pulitzer Prize winning photographer Eddie Adams and his photo in 1968 called Saigon Execution where a Viet Cong is, is shown to be assassinated uh, the moment of impact by a man holding a gun up to the guy's head, Saigon Execution. Another one is Margaret Borlet's, uh, Margaret Borlet's White's Gandhi and the Spinning Wheel in 1946. It pictures Gandhi sitting at a spinning wheel. Another famous photograph is Muhammad Ali, standing over a fallen Sonny Liston. I'm not sure when that was taken. Another photograph is VJ Day, a sailor kissing a girl in Times Square in 1945. And still another one is Harold Edgerton's photo in 1957 entitled The Milk Drop. It kind of looks like a hydrogen bomb exploding, but it's a drop of milk. And still another one is the last known photograph of the Titanic as she sails off to her fate. My question is, which one of these photographs would you have most likely shot? And again, I'll go over them. The Saigon Execution, Gandhi and the Spinning Wheel, Muhammad Ali standing over a fallen Sonny Liston, the VJ Sailor kissing a girl in Times Square, Milk Drop, or the Titanic? Uh, based off of the type of photography I do, mine would most likely have been the shot of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston. Oh, all right. Okay. I'm going to write that down, Mouse's Choice. Okay. Yeah, and then again, uh, you know, uh, wrestling is pretty much sport-like and filled with action. So hopefully you can uh, one day snap a photo that's nearly that famous. That's very good. Okay. Okay. 
Very good. All right. Well, Mr. Mouse, it's been mentioned several times on this show that the camera can capture the afterlife. I heard of a story of a man who was visiting Alcatraz, and he snapped a picture of an empty cell. When he later developed his pictures in his camera, among them was a picture of a face that was enraged and staring back at him. There have also been various photos of gas, ghostly apparitions taken of the German prisoner of war camp Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. Several ghostly figures have also been taken at the field hospital on the site of Gettysburg and the famous sniper Rocky Outcrop on Gettysburg known as the Devil's Den. And there have also been several photographs of floating orbs of light that have been captured at Dracula's castle in Romania. Now, my question is, uh, do you yourself believe that one day you will take a photo of an empty wrestling ring and after developing the pictures, see two ghostly wrestlers from the past locked in combat? That's my question. <laughs> I I don't know if that will happen. Um, uh, speaking of ghosts, uh, they did hint to us that uh, Cuban Club that GCW ran in during uh, the collective this past year was uh, haunted, and uh, several times the the merch lady Dana kept telling us, "Look back at y'all's pictures and tell me if y'all see anything." When I went through and edited my photos, I didn't see anything, but. People were coming back uh, telling of stories of things that happened uh, because apparently there was a lot of stuff that took place in that particular building on different spots of different floors and things like that. So I didn't see anything, but people had stories of things that they noticed that were off during the week that we were there. Oh, now that's spicy. Can you give our, our listeners the name of the venue again? It was called the uh, Cuban Club. Um, it's in uh, Tampa area of Florida. Oh, okay. Cuban Club. Wow, that's okay. Now, given uh, given uh, these two uh, places, the Field Hospital uh, of, of Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, the Field Hospital, or uh, Dracula's Castle in Romania, which one would you prefer? Uh, since I'm a history buff, I would love to go to the Gettysburg. Um, it's one of those things, like, every time we travel out uh, east, um, if we go the no-toll route, it takes us through, you know, like, Maryland and all these different places. So you always see uh, signs for Gettysburg, and we just never have enough time to detour off and go look at stuff. But that type of stuff interests me. Okay. Well, guys, we are getting down to the last few minutes of the show, and Mouse, I want to make sure that you have ample time. If there's anything that you would like to say to the listeners today, plug and promote anything and everything you would like, social medias, upcoming shows, merchandise, your favorite dry cleaner, anything that you want, floor is all yours. <laughs> uh, buy my kids' merch at BigStarksBrand.com. Uh Follow these up-and-coming kids that are doing great. You know, seek out Brian Keith in Texas. 
seek out uh, Aaron Mercer in Texas. Uh, you've got Jeffrey Johns in Columbus, Ohio. Um, J.D. Axe out of, uh, I guess, Atlanta now. Uh, but there's just so much talent out there. Find it. Celebrate it. Put it over. Let the world know about it. Well, Mouse, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. We appreciate it greatly. And I want to thank you for everything you do for professional wrestling. I know you're kind of one of the unsung heroes, always helping get people to shows, doing photography, helping document these kids' journeys. It's definitely much appreciated. Thank you. All right. Well, fans, definitely if you are able to get out there and support independent wrestling shows, do so. You might see Mouse next to you taking pictures and getting a visual history of some of these kids that you're going to be seeing on the big stage at some point soon. So get out there and support. We will be back with you next week, next Friday afternoon. We have Darren Corbin's consultant with us as our guest. And then one week from today, we will continue Photography Month with the legendary George Napolitano. So make plans to be with us. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody continue to be safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week.